0: Thank you Halloween, Christmas. My mother-in-law keeps saying this over and over again in disgust. Halloween, straight to Christmas. What happened to Thanksgiving? I mean, I'm sure you've seen it, right? As you've walked around the stores, all the Halloween candy and decorations are gone. Instead of black cats and orange candy corn, we're seeing green Christmas trees, right? And red-striped candy canes everywhere. Yet it seems so wrong that these holidays would kind of butt up right next to each other. I mean, green goblins have nothing to do with poor shepherds. Trick or cheaters should be never mistaken for Christmas carolers. And pumpkins just don't belong under evergreens. I mean, this is a Christmas story, right? It's the story of a baby being born. It's a children's story, a comforting story, a calming story. It's a story of a husband and wife ushering into the world the Savior of mankind. Here's the scene. All the faces so stiff and stoic, so pleasant and poised. The poor shepherd uniting with the wealthy kings. The animals sneaking up to get a glimpse. And the angels leaning over to get a glance at the newborn baby king. Right? And what's interesting about this story is that when we come to the end of, the, of chapter 11 last week, we see that seventh trumpet sound and signal the second coming of Jesus, the final judgment. And then we turn the page to Revelation 12 where he tells about the first story, the first coming of Jesus as a baby in a manger. Here's a scene. You can open up your Bibles, Revelation 12, verse 1. This is how he describes it. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. It's Christmas. Yeah, because that makes sense. The last book of the New Testament. Smack dab in the middle of the book, we have the nativity scene. I mean, really, John? Is that how your book is set up? After you have suffering with the seven seals, suffering intensified with the seven trumpets, and then in between the six and seven trumpet, you have this command to be faithful and to witness and to testify. And when that last trumpet sounds, Silent night, Holy night, all is calm, all is bright. It's called recapitulation, okay? Or just simply the idea of recap. You see this at Sports Center all the time, don't you? They tell the same story over and over again. You see, the book of Revelation is not one chronological story from beginning to end, it's cyclical, it goes in circles, it tells the same story. It's like the football coach after the game, got his team into the film room and said, let's watch this one play from the five different camera angles. He shows the play from this angle first and they watch it from beginning to end. Then he goes to the next camera angle and shows, now let me point out this little point, this little nuance of the play to you and they see it from beginning to end. See, that's what John has done. Revelation 1 through 11 was all about this junk just happening on earth. Those seven churches are messed up. These seals break open and all kinds of stuff comes out. And you can't help but wonder, who is behind all of this? Who's causing all of this? Enters chapter 12. It's described in verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon. With seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. So right in the middle of this beautiful quaint manger scene, in the midst of our silent night, John places an enormous, red, fire-breathing dragon. Really, John, it's Christmas. My president of Ozark, Matt Proctor, describes this saying, the scene that felt like, that looked like Norman Rockwell suddenly felt like Stephen King. I mean, this looks like it's something you would tell a story on on October 31st, not December 25th. How did Halloween make its way into the Christmas story? I don't drive around Evansville and see lawns looking like this. I mean, what's going on here? You see, John knows that this camera angle, he has to tell his Christians who are suffering and being persecuted how the resurrection impacts that guy. What happens to the enemy of the story? Because every story has an enemy, and ours is no different. When Jesus is born, it excites more than evil, I mean, it excites more than wonder. It excites evil. And here's what happened next in verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, this dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. We won! We won! That's it, right? When Jesus burst forth from the tomb, that was the eternal moment. That was the D-Day of human history. The devil was defeated. What's interesting in this chapter, this happens over and over again. It's kind of odd. In the midst of this battle, right when all the bodies are strewn across the battlefield and it's over, people just start singing. Really? I mean, look, verse 10. In your Bibles, that will be an indention to show you this is a poem. This is a song. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The war has been decided. The devil has been defeated. We have won. The beach has been taken. And they break out into song. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Here's the problem, though. There's one last verse to their song in Revelation 12. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And our song moves from victory in Jesus to the devil went down to Georgia. Sure, the resurrection defeated all of sin and death. The judge has sentenced him to execution. But we do know that our enemy is not leaving the courtroom without some kicking and screaming. For the last verse of this chapter, verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Oh, great. <laughs> I have news for you today. Um, that's us. That's us. Like, The ones that are gathering every week to worship Jesus, those who are following Jesus and being changed by Jesus and on mission with Jesus, when you commit to that, you immediately get a target on your back, and the guy attacking that target is a great, huge, infuriated red dragon. And I can't help but wonder, as this scene comes to me, and as I think about this, how do you fight from a place of victory? When all that you see around you is evidence of defeat. I mean, how do we, sure, it's said that we won, but when I look around this world, all I see is the breath of the dragon everywhere. I don't know about you, but how does the breath of the dragon come against you? Perhaps it's the death of a child or the effects of an aging parent. Perhaps you had a father abandon you or a church let you down. Perhaps it's, it's child slave labor in Baja or it is the cycles of generational poverty in Evansville. Perhaps the Ebola virus has left you scared or perhaps ISIS persecution has left you infuriated. Perhaps it's human trafficking in Myanmar or the millions who have never even heard who Jesus is in the country of Japan. How do you feel the breath of the dragon in your life? How do you fight from a place of victory when all that you see around you is evidence of defeat. Friends, in order to know how to fight off this attacking dragon, you have to understand how the dragon is attacking you, how he is coming against you. And there are two strategies that John pulls back the veil to reveal exactly how evil is coming against us. This dragon tries to either get you in the electric chair or the easy chair. First, the electric chair. Now, it was really hard to come by an electric chair in Evansville, Indiana, so this is going to have to do, okay? But in Revelation 13, you have this dragon standing on the shore of the sea, the shore of everything that is chaotic and evil, and he calls up from the sea a sidekick, this beast. It's a grotesque-looking thing. This beast actually looks a lot like the dragon, almost like it's his son or something. And the beast is given the dragon's bidding to do Whatever the dragon needs to be done, he's given all the power and authority. And look at how this dragon is described, how he goes and how he fights against the Christians. Verse 7 of chapter 13, it, this beast from the sea, was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. You see, this beast from the sea carries a sword with him, and his sole purpose is to kill Christians or scare them into deserting Jesus. He wants to get them in the electric chair. I don't know about you, but I, I don't understand this chair. When I read about the beast from the sea, I don't recognize his voice. I've never had the breath of the dragon come against me like flames of fire. I've never sat here. I've never heard that voice. And I've never felt that breath. So I don't know what to do with this chair. I mean, this is part of our heritage. This is part of our history. For the last 2,000 years, this beast has been focusing on persecuting Christians. We've seen it for the last 2,000 years, but it's not just something that happened in the past. In the last 100 years there have been more Christians persecuted for their faith than the previous 19 centuries combined. This is a current reality, and it's happening to people that you as a church are connected to. We actually have some missionaries that have experienced this kind of persecution. One story sticks to my mind. A missionary was working with a man named Mohammed, and Mohammed had just been baptized and was walking through the streets during the afternoon when some Muslim extremists captured him with a razor blade, kicked him over and over again in the groin until he couldn't defend himself. And they sliced the back of his hands and his neck and carved into his forehead over and over again the image of the Islamic crescent just because he was a Christian. I mean, how do you fight A fire-breathing dragon coming against you with this type of chair. I mean, how do they fight in Revelation? How do they fight from a place of victory when all they see around them is evidence of defeat? What do they do? And what's interesting is... This odd thing happens again. They sing. Look in Revelation chapter 13, verse 10. If anyone is to go into captivity... Into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient, endurance, and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Really, John? (laughs) I mean, when people are being beheaded and crucified and burned alive and having images carved into their forehead, it's time for a musical? I mean, when all this is happening and the, the flames of the beast are coming against you, It's time to sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. The story about a man named Dimitri who was living in the communist USSR. Who was arrested and put into prison for 17 years because he had started a church in his home. And While he was there he was beaten, tortured until they were trying to get him to break and deny that he was a follower of Jesus. But he never did. Two disciplines, he said, sustained him during those tough 17 years. The first, every single morning at dawn, he would wake up, he would stand at the edge of his bed, he would face east, he would stiffen his back in attention, raise his hands, and he would sing what he called a heart song. The songs of the past, the songs in worship to Jesus. Of course, the other 1,500 hardened prisoners reacted as you would expect. They banged pots against the bars, they yelled at him, sneered at him, threw food, sometimes even human waste to try and shut him up. But it never worked. The other discipline was every time he found a scrap of paper, he would take it back to his cell, write as many Bible verses as he could remember, roll it up and kind of hide it in a cell. And every time the guards would find it, they would take him out and beat him and torture him. Finally, one day, he was walking through the courtyard when there was a whole sheet of paper just laying on the ground. And he said God had humorously left for him a pencil next to it. So he grabbed the pencil and paper, went to his cell, and he said it was the best offering he could have given to his Lord. He filled it front and back of Bible verses and stories and everything that he could remember, every prayer, every song. Well, when the guards found that, that was the last straw. So they grabbed Dimitri and they took him out of the cell and they drug him down the corridor to the door that led to the courtyard where they did the executions. And he said as they were dragging him down that corridor, a miracle happened. 1,500 hardened prisoners stood up at the edge of their beds, faced east, raised their hands, and sang the same heart song that he had been teaching them for the last 17 years. He said it was the most beautiful choir he had ever heard. The guards released him and stepped back and asked, Who are you? And he stood up with pride and said, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. It is well, it is well with my soul. So how do you fight from a place of victory when all you see is evidence of defeat? How do you fight the flames from the breath of a fire-breathing dragon? How do you fight the beasts from the sea? Friends, we join with them in their song. We join with brothers and sisters around the world in their prayers, in the voices that are rising up to the Father. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Tonight at 6 p.m., we are having a night of prayer and praise for the persecuted church. Don't miss this opportunity to fight a fire-breathing dragon. Don't miss this opportunity to lift up your voice with those brothers and sisters around the world who are being strapped in two electric chairs. Join me tonight in doing that. Then comes the second beast. As the first beast focuses is to get you in the electric chair, the second beast, his goal is to get you what I like to call the easy chair over here. See, the first beast comes at you with violence and persecution to scare you. And this beast comes at you with deception and seduction. It's described in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. But it spoke like a dragon. Verse 14, because of the signs it was given power to perform on the ha- behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. If the first beast was an overt attack against you, this beast is a covert operation. Its goal is to get you here in this easy chair to get you comfortable, to get you just a bit off course, one degree different from the reality. It's actually given a name at the end of this chapter, a number. That number is 666, right? Now, friends, there have been a lot of things said about this number, a lot of interpretations of this symbol. Everything from Ronald Reagan to Barack Obama, from WWW to Apple iPhones, people have said is what 666 is referring to. Let me teach you one interpretive key for the book of Revelation. Here it is. You ready? Don't miss the forest for the trees. Okay? What I'm saying is don't get caught up on one symbol or one sentence or one phrase that you miss the scene that is being painted. I mean, what's this scene here? A dragon has been thrown down to earth and is wreaking havoc. He has a beast that's killing Christians and he has a beast that's deceiving them. I mean, think what it said. It was like a lamb. Right? It performed miraculous signs and wonders. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And if God had a number, that number would be seven in this culture. Because for Jews, seven was the complete whole number. The number of days it took to create the whole world. If you wanted to emphasize the completeness and perfection of God, you would repeat that number three times. Seven, seven, seven. Now if you were going to be a really good deceptive beast, you wouldn't be the exact opposite of God, Right? You would get as close to him as possible. The best lies are 90% true, right? And so this beast is 666. That's the part of the scene. He's just trying to get you a little bit off course. He wants you to sit here and think, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. He's an undercover enemy. And friends, um, I don't know about you, but as I walked across the stage, from the electric chair to the easy chair, I felt like I moved from stories I've heard to experiences I've had. From feeling disheartened to feeling discouraged. From the uncommon to the all too common. I mean, I know this chair. It has the imprint of my back seat in it. I know what it feels like to sit here. When I read about the beast from the earth, I recognize his voice. I don't have flames of fire coming from me, at me from the dragon. But his breath creeps over my shoulder into my ear, whispering deceptive lies that are all too familiar. See, this beast, he wants to get you comfortable in here. When I began thinking about how this beast has deceived us as a culture, things that came to my mind were those big lies our culture has bought into, like your body is your own, you can do whatever you want with an unwanted pregnancy. Or that marriage is up for interpretation. Do choose whatever you want it to mean for you. And I thought I could make a list of these things and we would all be nodding our heads in agreement. That yep, that's exactly the right side. That's how that beast deceives those people out there. If only I could stop there. There would be no toes stepped on. No hearts broken. No conviction happened. No radical obedience called for. If only. But far too often, I have woken up from my slumber to realize that I've been sitting in the easy chair of the deceptive beast. I mean, I have bought into the lie so often that this is all about having that successful image of the 3,000 square foot house with a picket, white picket fence and the trophy wife and the honor roll kids. All too often, I've bought the lie that religious activity equals religious maturity. And that the busier I am with church things, well, that's the more like Jesus I am. You see, this is what this beast does. He props up the feet, he leans back the chair and he says, go ahead, come on, get comfortable. Just curl up and try to survive. Throw in the towel, it's okay, I got this chair for you. And that's what he does, he whispers into our ear and he says, you know what, your husband left you You're just, you're just bagging, you're just bagging your damaged goods. No man will ever treat your kids like a true son or daughter. So just quit. Just give up. Just curl up here. Try to survive. He tells us, man, you worked for 40 hard years in retirement. It's all about you now. You've earned the right to be selfish. Leave the kingdom of God to those other people. This is now your time to do whatever you want. Come, come sit in the chair. Come get comfortable. He's lied to us saying that the perfect life is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That happiness is the ultimate virtue to do whatever makes you happy. So get a bigger chair. Get more chairs. Just, just come have a seat. Just lean back and enjoy. That's what life's all about. And far too often we have awakened to realize that we've been obeying The soft and soothing voice of a deceptive dragon. C.S. Lewis says this, and this is just so true. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So how do you fight a beast from this earth? How do you fight a beast from the sea? How do you fight this group of this grouping of enemies? How do you fight from a place of victory when all you see is evidence of defeat around you? Friends, in order to know how to fight these enemies, you have to realize what their ultimate goal is. Their ultimate purpose is to steal your worship. The word worship is used Eight times in Revelation 13 and 14. Here's just a few examples in verse four of Revelation 13. People worshiped the dragon because he has given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? And then in verse 12, it exercised all the authority. This is the second beast. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. You see, they know that you're created to worship. What happened is this dragon and these two beasts, they formed what we call the unholy trinity, right? You have a dragon and a beast from the sea and a beast from the earth. There's three of them. And what they're doing is they're trying to imitate the reality. The dragon's trying to be like the father. And the beast from the sun, it looks a lot like the father, almost like it's The son of the father. It had a fatal wound and it was healed, almost like a resurrection. And then the beast from the earth is like the Holy Spirit. It kind of points back to the son. Don't worship me. Worship that beast. You see, they know that you're created to worship the father, son, Holy Spirit. So they get as close to it as possible. Not 777, but 666. Worship us. They're counterfeit gods. And just like money laundering, the only way to be able to spot out counterfeits, to get good at it, is you've got to spend a lot of time with the real deal. You spot out counterfeits by studying the reality. Look what happens in chapter 14, verse 1. This is how you fight an unholy trinity. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads, and I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, and guess this little odd thing happens yet again, and they sang a new song before the throne. Is that how it works, John? John? when this triumvirate of evil comes against you, this dragon and his two beasts and they're breathing all kinds of fire and deceptions against you, you sing? He goes, yes, you sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Friends, we fight with worship. We fight with worship. We fight by spending time with the real deal, by living with God, by breathing God, by listening to his voice, by recognizing his power through the cross and the resurrection, by turning our eyes to the lamb on the throne. How do you fight from a place of victory when all that you see around you is evidence of defeat? here's this one truth I wanna get across to you today. We fight, whenever you feel the breath of the dragon, we fight by looking to the lamb on the throne. Whenever you feel the breath, breath of the dragon, we fight by looking to the lamb on the throne. Whenever you feel the breath of the dragon worship the lamb on the throne. Whenever that deceptive voice comes into your ear and says, you are not any good, you are worthless, no one loves you, turn your ear to the one on the throne that calls you son or daughter. Whenever you feel the breath of the dragon come against you and you see a beheading on national TV, turn your eyes to the one who has defeated death and reigns on a throne. Whenever you see that easy chair looking really good over there, Burn into your mind the image of your Savior hanging on a very uncomfortable and hard cross. Whenever you feel the breath of the dragon coming against you, worship the lamb on the throne. That's the command in Revelation 14. Verse 7. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him. Who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Worship him, the lamb on the throne. I don't know where you're at today. If you're a guest here with us, maybe this is a lot of new stuff you've never heard about before. And you're just like, I just want to know about Jesus today. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to enter into a time of worship. I'm going to ask that you remain seated after that time of worship and one of our section hosts and pastors will come and talk with you. But there's one response to my message today. It's to worship. That's what we're going to do. We're going to... Put our eyes on the lamb on the throne. We're going to sing. We're going to listen. We're going to lift our voices with the Christians around the world. We're going to lift our voices with the saints in heaven and with the four living creatures and the angels and the army of angels around him. We're going to lift our voices with Christians being strapped into electric chairs and Christians trying to get out of easy chairs. The call is to worship is to worship today, worship tomorrow, worship every morning before work and worship at night when that deceptive voice creeps in. Worship when you feel yourself being persecuted, when you feel yourself being deceived. Worship, commit to worshiping every single Sunday in a corporate setting for an entire year. Commit to worshiping every morning the lamb on the throne. My prayer is that the next time that you feel the breath of the dragon come against you, that you burst out into song. And then you'll know that you've learned how to fight a dragon.